Hello, this is not Don McPherson, and this is 12 Geniuses. I'm Rebecca Ryan, stepping into the host stand to turn the microphone on the genius himself, Don McPherson. As you know, Don is the host of this podcast. He's a five-time entrepreneur. He spent 25 years researching the employee and customer experiences, the attributes of great leadership, and how healthy organizational cultures are created and sustained. He's been your host all these years, but today he's my guest. Don McPherson, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thank you, Rebecca Ryan. (laughs) Now you are a four-time genius. You've been on the show three times and you are the first guest host. Do I get a green jacket? I will start working on that. Absolutely. All right. Well, Don, as you know, you're part of the summer series where you primarily are interviewing these geniuses, these futurists. But now it's your turn to answer the question, and you've chosen 2073 as your lookout, as your time horizon. So the first question, can you paint a picture for us of what life will be like in 2073? Absolutely. And the first thing that I will say is we are interviewing futurists for this series. I am not a futurist. I am, I hope, a forward-thinking leader. And I've learned a great deal by interviewing futurists and hanging around futurists and following futurists over the last five years. And with that said, I'm going to focus on two areas or two domains for 2073. And the first one that I want to start with is aging. And this is a topic that I've followed quite closely over the last five years with 12 Geniuses. And to start talking about aging and where we will be in 2073, I think it's helpful to understand where we are right now. Globally, we're at a life expectancy of over 73 years. And in the US, it's around 76 years. If you rewind, because I like to look at a historical reference, if you rewind to 1900, globally, it was just 32 years. And in the Americas, United States, it was around 40 years. Europe, it was around 40 years. So advanced economies were at about 40 years. So where are we going over the next 50 years? It's my belief that we'll have life expectancy around 90 to 100 years, and it will not be an outlier who makes it to 120. That will be actually pretty common. And I believe, and we can get into why I have these beliefs, but I believe that 150 years is possible by 2073. And so that's quite a significant change, but there's good reason to believe that we can make it. And personally... I'm 54, and I've been saying this for a while. If I can make it to 70, 120 is a layup, meaning I just need to make the next 16 years and allow science to continue to advance, and then I'll have another 50 years beyond that. So my hope is that in 2073, you and I are still friends, and we're still having conversations because I'll be... 104, 105 years old, and you'll be much less. You know, I remember hearing a statistic many years ago that a woman who makes it to 40 with no sign of cancer has a three in four chance of living to be 80. And so, like, thinking about by the time you're 70, if you're healthy, I wonder what your chances are to living to 120, that layup that you talked about. Yeah, there's, you're aware of Ray Kurzweil. Yep. And he talked about this longevity escape velocity. And this was a term that was new to me, but I I read about it in Sergey Young's book, The Science of Growing Young. And so this, this term longevity escape velocity, 
essentially means that science is advancing life every year greater than a year, which is wild, right? The parabola. Yeah, we're, I think, at five months or six months or something like that. Like, you know, the advancement is is much less than a year. But, you know, I'll give you an example of, of a country, Kenya, a number of years ago. The average life expectancy was 28 in Kenya. And over the course of a decade, it advanced to 38, meaning you were no closer to death at the end of that decade than you were at the beginning of the decade, which is wild, right? Crazy. And and so that that's kind of this idea of longevity, escape velocity. And he says, Kurzweil says that we're we will approach that in 10 to 12 years. And he wrote that in 2020. Yeah. So by the end of this decade or maybe 2032, we can as- expect that sort of advancement in life expectancy. So do you think that, so th- I'm thinking of this in two perspectives. Like one is, okay, what does the 80 plus, 80 to 120 years look like? Like, will we all be cyborgs? You know, there will be some level of implantation that are going to help us, you know, maintain some health. And then the other thing I'm thinking about is, does that mean the life stages can also get spread out? I mean, we've already heard about, you know, failure to launch in Italy and in the United States where kids are living at home longer and we're allowing in the U.S. kids to keep their parents' health insurance for longer. So what do you think, Don, both about like end of life, the 80 to 120 year period that'll all be brand new for most of us, and then the the part before 80? Pew Research did a study and they asked Americans, if you could, would you live to 120? 56% said, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. And they're thinking about it in terms of what 120 must look right. like or what 120 looks like now. Which is decrepit, which is grim. You, you, it's grim. You, you, yeah, it's grim. You don't have use of your faculties in the same way. You're not able, you're not mobile. And it doesn't have to be that way. So you're right. We will have, you know, robots in our bloodstream and we'll have sensors and, and those sensors will be hooked up with our doctor's office or, you know, some sort of care team. Yes, all of that will, will happen. But just let's walk about it, walk through it in three stages. The first thing that we can do is very simple. We all know this. Eat well, exercise, reduce your stress, and, and get rest. You know, maintain your health, see a doctor, get, get a checkup. So th- th- those are things that we can do right now. And then there's research into different drugs that are potential life extenders, drugs like rapamycin and, and metformin. And what do research. those do that, that might sound like you just sneezed or had a little allergic reaction <laughs> to some of our listeners? One of them is a diabetes drug, if I remember, and I think that's metformin. So it's been on the, it's been on the market a long time. I want to say it's been on the market 60 years. I'm drawing from memory and my memory is not the greatest. But when, and then rapamycin is in a, I think it's used to treat kidney disease in a, in a cocktail. But these these drugs have been used on mice, and they found that they do, in fact, extend the life of of mice that are that are using these. And again, I'm going to draw on memory here, but metformin, for example, was given to mice that 
we're the equivalent age of humans who, that are 60 years old. And the, the mice that got the metformin, the female li- mice lived 38% longer than the female mice that didn't get the metformin. And the male mice lived 28% longer than the, the male mice that didn't get. So that's, that's encouraging. But I don't, my bets are on nascent technologies or soon to arrive technologies like organ replacement. So we may get our organs replaced using our own cells, very similar to how we get our tires replaced or how we would get a filling replaced. That's the ease with which I think this, this will occur over the next 50 years. CRISPR for disease elimination. So we're able to insert or, or delete or alter our genes, which is wild. And then there's a lot of buzz in the news recently. David Sinclair is leading it, but, but others are talking about it, treating aging as a disease, which is wild, right? Meaning we don't have to age. And there are even people who say we will get to choose our biological age. Meaning you may have been born 80 years ago, but you could turn back the clock to 40 or 35, not 18, because I'm not going back there. <laughs> but, but I mean, you're, you start to think about these things, you read enough about these things, and then you're like, oh, well, 120 is not going to be the 120 that it is in 2020. Yeah. So do you want to live to 120, layup man? I do. Yep. I do. And I mean, there's, there's, you, you read enough people who are researching this and, you know, the futurists, some of them think that it's possible that we could be, become immortal, which is a term that I learned from Yuval Noah Harari's book, Sapiens, I think it was in this term. And immortal is basically, you don't have to die, but maybe you get hit by a meteor or something like that. Like we get hit by a meteor and, and, it, and, but, but you're essentially immortal if, if you don't get hit by a bus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Disease is not going to take you. Cancer is not going to take you. Neurological diseases won't take you. Do I want that? Probably not. I think there is something about, at least the way I live my life, having a sense of urgency and trying to accomplish things. So probably not, but I would love to see 120. I would love to see what this world becomes. I'd love to see who my children become and not only just as young adults, but as real kind of you know, grownups. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I, I'd love, you know, 120 would be amazing. Absolutely amazing. I want you to live to 120. And I think it's, you know, we know that in the, you know, in the last century, adding all these years to human life, like your look back was so fantastic, you know, being able to add, you know, well over 40 years from 1900 to today is one of the greatest accomplishments of human, of human beings. So to be able to do that yet again in this century that we live in be something else. Okay. I think there was another thing you wanted to talk about with respect to what life is going to be like in 2073, Don. Well, the implications, I think, because you hit on it, we've done a great job of extending quantity of years. 
I don't think we have mastered quality of life. And so that's, that's the first thing is, I think if we're extending life to 120, 150, 200, you know, pick a number, but humans can't figure out how to be happy, then we've wasted it. Mm-hmm. We've wasted this scientific advancement. And you know, part of my mission is to not only help educate people, but also help them learn how to be happy. And so a lot of the speaking I do talks about happiness and choosing and, you know. So what do we all need to learn to live to 120 or 150 in a, in a happy way? I mean, in America, I think we've got so much of the model wrong. I mean, we celebrate youth and we discount being older. And, you know, I just think about the women who are in my age bracket who are just fretting about what their skin looks like or that they're gray now. And yeah, and it's just it's nonsense in the grand scheme of things. What do you think? I have a mentor. He's 86 years old and he wakes up every day, puts his feet on the floor and he says, I'm, am I going to be happy today or am I going to be very happy? Those are my two choices. Those are the only two choices I have. I love this guy because of that. You know, Rebecca, I, I talked to him one time. This is kind of early in our relationship. And, you know, he loves to read. And I said, you know, what are, what are you reading now? And he says, I'm reading this book called Future You by Brian David Johnson, also a futurist. And he'll be in this series. And I'm like, this guy, he was probably 84 at the time. This guy's 84 and he's thinking about future you. I'm like, oh, I love this guy. But that's his mentality is every day I wake up and now I, I tell this to my kids. Every day when they go to school, I ask them, are you going to have a good day or a great day? Those are their to- two choices, Rebecca. My goodness, if you saw how they lived and the, you know, the opportunities they have, those are their choices. But we can all make these choices. We have four times more power over our happiness by the choices we make than the circumstances in which we live. Four times more power. So it's a conscious choice. And you know, I think if more people could make the, that conscious choice and learn how to do that, they'll be happier. Is this going to be another podcast? Or are you just going to leave this trailing ellipse? Like I can feel people like tensing up on their on their steering wheels right now. Like, done. What do I have to be thinking about? It's just this that that you know, in in order to be happy, uh, our our choices matter. Are we going to go for a walk or are we, we going to scroll through social media and eat potato chips? Are we going to call a friend or are we, you know, going to obsess over somebody who cut us off in traffic? In every circumstance, we get to choose. Viktor Frankl talked about it in Man's Search for Meaning. My mentor, Doug Lennick, talked about it. He says, happiness is not a state of affairs. It's a state of mind. Mm. He was going through a divorce when he wrote that. Viktor Frankl survived the Holocaust, and he said, the last of human freedoms is the freedom to choose your own way in any given set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Happiness is a choice, and it's a discipline, and we can do it. We can do it every day. So that's kind of, you know, getting a little bit off topic, but I'll just close this part of it with the implication. So if we are living to 120, if we're living to 150, this changes everything. This changes the rules to everything. And, you know, we could talk about work and retirement and education. And 
what's happening in France right now. So we're recording this on May 3rd, 2023, and France just celebrated May Day with protests in the street over their entitlement retirement age going from 62 to 64. Is that correct? Yep. Or Am was I it 64 to 66? No, I think you're right. 64. That's right. Yeah. So I believe it's 62 to 64 and they're going bananas over this. And that's entitlement. We can't expect to live longer and just work our 40, work from 18 to 58 or 22 to 62 or whatever. Well, we, we, the economics don't work. So we have to think about working and choosing jobs and careers that we love. We have to prepare differently for retirement or have a different expectation for what retirement is. It may not be at the end of life, but it might be throughout our life. You know, maybe we take a month off in December. Maybe we take a month off in July. I mean, I love the Danes because I, I lived in Denmark in the 90s and I go back frequently and they really have figured out how to live the quality of life, taking, you know, longer vacations and and really having a, a healthy relationship to work. And and we need to rethink education, but, but we need to rethink everything, but we have to be lifelong learners. And that's one of the things that I've really tried to do with this podcast is inspire people to learn outside of their areas of expertise and kind of embrace, you know, all that it, there is to, to learn. Yeah. So it, it, it changes everything, it, these implications. And we can't just take the good, right. which is a longer life. We have to be comfortable with the rewriting of the rules. I think a lot about the population pyramid, you know, that if our ability to have children doesn't extend or change in some way, if we're not growing them, you know, if we're not fertilizing them and growing them some other way, we're going to have this like super inverted population pyramid too, where we've got so many more people, you know, who are over 60 or over 80. So any thoughts about that? I want to say that there are more people over the age of 65 than under the age of five globally for the first time in human history. And that happened a couple of years ago. And the percentage of people who will be over 80, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on what the percentage is, but it's, it's a high percentage by the end of this decade. Yeah. And you see countries incenting people to have babies. We've talked about this on our weekly futures meeting that you host, you know, countries like South Korea and Hungary, and it's been floated in the United States. And, and there will be other countries around the world who will incent this. China has incented it and it's not working. So that, that's, you know, pretty interesting. But my vision, and I don't know, I don't really have any strong signals on this, but my hope and my vision would be that parents have the opportunity to take a sabbatical to raise their children. Raising children is is by far the greatest thing that I've ever done. My children are only seven and almost five. And I've been off for most of this. I've run this podcast. I've had this business, but I've been present for the last five years of their lives. The first two years of my oldest daughter's life, I worked like a maniac. But I've been present for the last five years and it's truly special. And so my vision would be that 
we really provide the time for our parents to raise their children properly and allow them freedom from work in order to do that. And maybe that inverted population that you're talking about enables that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's not no work, but a reasonable amount of work. So, Don, what else? So you've painted the picture of us living to 120, 150, maybe 200 on the outside by 2073, 50 years from when we're recording this. What else do you think will be true in 2073? The other thing that I'm interested in, and I'm interested in a lot of things, but but for the purpose of this conversation is space. And before I, I'll give an update on where we are now, I'll go back to 1919 because I think that's interesting. The first transatlantic flight occurred in 1919. Two men flew from St. John's in Newfoundland to Ireland. And it took them like 14 hours or 15 hours. And they only went 1,800 miles. So they went really slow. (laughs) And that was the first successful flight across the Atlantic. Wow. Right with no stops. In 2019, 36 million passenger seats made that trip. 36 million, and they made it safely. And where we are right now is somewhere between 1919 and 1927, where Charles Lindbergh made the first solo flight. We're in the very early stages of space exploration. So... When SpaceX launches a a rocket or Virgin Galactic goes into space or Blue Origin or any of these companies is going into space, think about it as the first transatlantic flights, this early period in aviation history. That's where we are right now. So it's really exciting, right? And and look how far we came with aviation in a hundred years. Well, we'll certainly move that far with space in the next 50 years. And the one company that I didn't mention is Relativity Space, and I don't know if you've heard about them, but they produce these rockets that are like 90 to 95% 3D printed. Wow. So really kind of a unique way of creating these rockets. And and now we're starting to talk about reusing rockets and, and things of that nature. So this is a real evolution in space travel, right? We're not wasting the rockets. We're reclaiming, you know, a lot of the materials. There are 70 space agencies in the world. 16 of them, 16 countries can conduct a space launch. So this is, this is real and we need space. Our modern world doesn't work without space. So, you know, I've had Master Gunnery Sergeant Scott Stalker on the, the show. He's command senior enlisted leader of U.S. Space Command. And he talks about, you know, all of our technologies, all of our commerce, it doesn't work without satellites and a protected space environment. So we're early stages. Where we'll go is extensive mining in space. So gathering resources from outside Earth, which is wild to think about. I know you've kind of read up on this, but for most people, that's something new and We'll begin tourism and it'll be a real thing. Space tourism will be a real thing by 2073. It'll probably be a flourishing thing by 2073. You know, we can look out 15 or 20 years and 
and there will be space tourism. And then I think we go to space colonization and life on Mars. Elon Musk has said it. Master Gunnery Sergeant Stalker has said it. Dr. Anita Sengupta, who's been on the show, has said it. There will be a human on Mars by the end of the decade. Do you think that Mars will be required because of longevity? I mean, we're already consuming, we talked about it before the show, but I think most of your listeners probably know, we consume one over one and a half planets, and that's not sustainable. So is Mars the easy play to just, you know, move some of human resource users to other planets? Near term, no. No, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a viable option. We have to take care of this planet. And my response to that is, yes, we use 1.7 planets, I think is the figure that, that I've heard every year. And we use those resources really, really, really poorly. I, I do think that this planet can sustain 8 billion inhabitants if we use our resources properly. If we don't waste them, if we can harness the sun, if we can harness the wind, if we can treat the planet more kindly. And we'll talk about this when we, you know, looking back at 20, from 2073 to 2023, we, we can talk about some of these things where humans will just shake their head and disbelief what we were, what we're doing right now yeah. today and how we use this planet. Do you think um, America will own space? Like, how is the ownership going to work? I mean, it requires like, you know, we have the International Space Station, which feels like a really like sweet model. But when you start talking about owning things, mining, you know, people start to want to put their flags on things and pee on their territory. So how do you see the colonization of space or even let's I mean, we don't have to go all the way there, but even the mining of space minerals. How do you see that happening from from Earth's perspective? How is that going to take place? That's <laughs> such a it's such a tricky question, but let's let's use history as a reference. Okay. Explorers went to lands, they colonized them, and then generally those colonies became independent. And I think what will happen is, you know, we'll go to certain places, China will go to certain places, Russia may go to certain places, maybe other countries, India may go to certain places. R right now, I think there are just three countries that are have had humans in space. So it's yep. Russia, China, and the U.S. But, of course, other countries are going to want to go there as well. If we use history as an example, you know, we'll put our flags in places and say, that's ours. And then if we did colonize Mars, how many generations will it take before the people there say, well, we're Martians. Our resources are staying here. Right. You know, I, I had a gr an interesting conversation with, gosh, Blanking on his name, I think of Dan Sisson. He was on the show at one point. And he, he made that point. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, how many generations was it that people were in America yep. or in the colonies before they said, no, we want our independence? It wasn't that long. And I think that will be very a very likely future scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll probably take a minute because... You know, Earth is designed, we co-evolved with humans, 
you know, the things that we need are easily here, much easier than like what would be needed to support to support life on Mars. Is that true? I mean, I'm assuming that I, I see the it looks like a lot of red dust. I don't know. I mean, how how intimidating was it to be in a wooden ship in 1492? Yeah. And people thought the Earth was flat. Right, right. You know, I mean, like, uh, I I can't say. I, I try to think back to that time and, and how intimidating it must have been to embark on that journey. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of things like water, you know, and mm-hmm. food sources and... Do we, you know, the British supplied a lot of things to the United States, for example, as as this country was just getting going. And I think we'll have to do the same thing. Right. And I, I think what will happen is we'll create some sort of biosphere environment mm-hmm. there. I don't know if you've ever been to the biosphere in Arizona. Yep. So, so you get it like it. it's a totally self-sustaining environment. And I want to say it was under two acres, something like that. It's not huge. It's really, really small. So we would likely create something like that using resources from Earth and build it, expand on it. That would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun to think about. I know that one of the things you want to do is spark people's imagination. And so just to think about how you know, what would it look like? What would it take for you to do a space visit? You know, is this going to be like Las Vegas? That's a great place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Is it something where your kids could get excited about living there? So, I, you know, I invite everybody listening to just do their own exploration of not like, oh, I, I would never do that. But what would lead me to be interested in doing that? So, Don, let's say that we're in 27.3. We're, we're 50 years in the future. And we're now looking back at these two relatively young looking people in 2023. And what do you think the people of 2073 are going to be saying, you did what in 2023? Everything. That's a lot. Can you narrow it down? (laughs) That's a lot. The reason why I wanted to ask this question of my guests is because I'm really disappointed with the way many people are evaluating historical figures Mm based on the social conventions and mores of 2023 and cancel culture. And the world was a lot different, let's say, in 1973, 1920 or 1800. And we can't evaluate those people based on how we live life today. And so I think it's interesting to look forward at 2073. What are people going to be looking at in the same way that a lot of people are looking at historical figures. Yep. So three things that come to mind, definitely what we eat and how we raise it. Okay. So I'm thinking specifically about the treatment of animals, especially livestock, and also the way that we farm mm, in these, okay. you know, just using these huge, huge areas of land, plowing them, kicking up all of this carbon into the atmosphere, really planting in a in a non-sustainable way. We will not do that in 50 years. Mm-hmm. And people will look back at us like, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? So it's 2073 and 
people are asking, what was life really like in 2023 and what are they asking about? In the United States, the next thing that I would mention is gun culture and something is going to have to happen. I am in favor of people being able to own weapons and guns. So that's, I grew up hunting and, and that's a personal belief that I have. You may differ and, and we can have a civil debate. I love you. I think you care about me. So we could have a civil debate on that. And you're probably not going to change my mind. I'm probably not going to change yours. And that's, that's okay. But we will walk away friends. Here's why I think it's going to change. And when I, when I've been to Europe recently, I, I went five times last year. So last year was a great opportunity to reconnect with friends. Each time I went, somebody asked me what's going on with guns mm -hmm. in your country. Yep. So people are afraid to come to this country That's right. because of that. They misunderstand, you know, the frequency that this is happening. They probably think that it's the Wild West. But, you know, that's other countries or whatever. We know what it's like. But personally, I have noticed when I've been to public events. Now, keep in mind that I, I was pretty much isolated with my family for two years. And then we started to go out a lot more last year. Every time I went to a public event, I sat on the end and knew more where my exit was and knew where my kids were. And I knew if a gunman was coming into this, you know, like I yep. never thought that way. 50 years of life. I had never thought of that. And I know that there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of people. And I don't think I live in the orange or the red, but I'm definitely living often in the yellow when mm -hmm. I'm in public. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm, more prepared than a lot of people. I think a lot of people have anxiety when they go to public places. And, and if that hurts commerce, then we have to have a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. So 50 years out, gun culture will be much different than it is now. Yeah. We will, st I, I have no doubt that Americans will still have guns, have weapons, but the way we use them, the way we talk about them, these mass shootings, I think it will be addressed. It may not be perfect, but it will be much different than it is today. I just want to say, Don, I appreciate so much what you've been able to do with 12 Geniuses to spark people's imagination, to be that polymath in training, bringing these wide ranging perspectives to help us think differently about our present and our future. And I, I think all listeners hand in the air. We all want to give you a high five, man. You are a rock star and you've helped us think think differently about how to be better in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses and thanks to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. This was the final episode of our Summertime Futurist Friday series. You can find all 12 interviews for this season on the 12 Geniuses website or on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back in the fall with another season when we explore resilience, failure, leadership, and a variety of other topics with outstanding guests. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.